Assalamu alaikum, this is Abdurrahman Murphy, and you're listening to the newest Heartwork series, Finding Meaning in Trial. In this series, we'll be exploring an upcoming publication that I'm working on, translating and commenting on the beautiful short text of Al-Izz bin Abdussalam called The Benefits of Trials. In this series, we'll be exploring some of the meanings and some of the benefits of trials in our lives as given to us by Al-Izz bin Abdussalam. He gives us some of the good things that we seek in life that can only come from the bad moments that we experience in life. I look forward to joining you on this series, inshallah, and having you with us. And as always, if you benefit from our work, please consider donating and becoming a sustainer at rootsdfw.org sustain. Okay, assalamu alaikum. Bismillah. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wassalamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'een. Welcome home, everybody. It's good to see you, alhamdulillah. Welcome to this beautiful Dallas spring day. Alhamdulillah. Um, I was trying to convince you know, my son Musa that this is why living in Dallas is so great. Is because like, you know, if you live in Chicago, where I was born and raised, uh, January 29th is not going to be 70 degrees. And he was like, yeah, that's fine, Baba, but I really want to see snow. And so that's kind of the, that's where he's at mentally. So I'm going to have to hop on a plane to... Colorado or somewhere snowy, Alaska, get it out of his system. I'm going to make him sit in snow in short sleeves. And then I'll say, let's see if you ever want snow again. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Okay. Alhamdulillah. We are toward the end of the book, subhanAllah. And I hope and pray, inshallah, that everybody has uh, found some meaning and purpose behind their trials and their difficulties by reading this text, I know that I have, and alhamdulillah, it's uh, something that I think will be um, really, really nice, especially inshallah when I get this book published, the translation that I'm teaching from, I hope that everyone will benefit from it, bi'idnillah. Uh, okay, so we finished last week on one of the meanings of trials, is that when a person goes through a trial, they become a source of mercy and they become a source of assistance and really relief for the people that are being tested and so you think about it you know you go through something you become now a resource for somebody else um you've been laid off before and then you got alhamdulillah another job somebody else was laid off and you reach out to them and say hey if i can be of any service let me know that's literally how this works and that's one of the reasons now, in the middle of you being laid off, when you get that phone call or that email or that Zoom call, you might be thinking in your head, what's the purpose of this? But as you fast forward and see that now you've become a mercy for somebody else, now you think to yourself, oh, subhanAllah, like Allah was giving me. And again, this doesn't mean it's the only reason, but it could be one of them. There could be a lot of other reasons that we went through earlier in the book together. The next, the 13th, the next meaning or the next purpose that trials happen or the next purpose that you can derive from your trials is what he says ma'rifatu qadri ni'mat al-'afiyah wa shukru alayha fa inna ni'ma la yu'rafu miqdaruha illa ba'da faqtiha he says that al-thalithatashar the 13th benefit is, and he uses the word ma'rifa again. And ma'rifa, he used it earlier in the text. Ma'rifa is like a very, very emphatic form of knowing something. It's like a deep, true knowledge of something. It's a realization of a point. And so he says, ma'rifatu qadri ni'matil afiyah. You start to understand the weight and the value and the measurement of Afia. Afia in Arabic means a few different things, but one good word to kind of summarize it is well-being. Some a, a point in your life when things are smooth. If you think about life like a like a boat ride or like an airplane ride, it's whenever it's smooth and there's no turbulence, there's no discomfort, there's no uncertainty. Afia is a state that everybody seeks to be in. Even in psychology, you know, they mention that we're always pushing and trying and working for a state of equilibrium. So everybody wants to be in a state of ease. But here's the issue, is that as we are human beings, we tend to become 
and take for granted. We tend to become lazy when it comes to recognizing states of afia, of well-being. And we only really become, you know, attached or appreciative or cognizant of those good times when bad times happen. So for example, when you're healthy, you just kind of think that's normal. But then when you get sick for those few days or maybe longer, now you're remembering all the days that you were healthy, right? You have no headaches, no migraines. Now you get a migraine and all you're thinking about is the time when your head did not hurt. So these are the examples that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts into the path of your life so that you can start to understand and not just understand it theoretically, but to have a deep, deep level of understanding as to why this happens. And he mentions here, he says that لَا يُعْرَفُ مِقْدَارُهَا إِلَّا بَعْدَ فَقْدِهَا Which in English translates to basically, you don't know what you got till it's gone. And that's a statement that we're all very familiar with. You don't realize what you have until you don't have it anymore. And once that thing is taken away from you, now all of a sudden you become very much keenly aware, acutely aware of what you had at that point. There are some hadith and some narrations from the life of the Prophet some stories that address this. And I think all of us are old enough now, like heart work is meant to be you know, young professionals. So all of us have that age and that experience where we can admit that we do have this flaw. Do you guys admit that we do sometimes take things for granted? Yes or no? Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to go through what the Prophet ﷺ advised as far as not taking things for granted. And one of the greatest tools, as we just said, for not taking things for granted is to really embrace the times where things are bad. And when you do things like reflect and ponder and even like take notes about the things when they are bad, the moments in your life when they're tough, all of a sudden now when things go back to quote unquote normal, which just means things are good, then your heart is so deeply appreciative of those times when they're normal. Has anyone here ever burned their tongue? And then for the next like four days, you can't taste anything? Sweet and salty taste the same, right? You can't, your flavor, your ability to detect flavor is gone. And then when you get the ability to taste back, right? It's either burning your tongue or COVID. When you get the ability to taste back, then you're like super grateful for that moment. Or think of the Dallas summers when it's very hot and you're walking outside and it's over 105, 110 degrees. And all you're thinking about is getting to your car or getting to the building where there's air conditioning. Okay, or you've been fasting. Ramadan is such an interesting microcosm of this very experience because Ramadan, Allah takes away things that are normal, food and drink. And all day you can't eat, you can't drink. And then all of a sudden at sunset, at Maghrib time, you're able to have food and drink and nothing, nothing tastes better. You know what the best, best, most delicious iftar is? You guys know? Anything. It's anything. Like after you have not had food or drink, anybody who tells me, this is like a rule that my dad taught me. Anybody who says like, I'm so hungry. And I'm like, what do you want to eat? They're like, uh, I'm like, you want to do this? They're like, no, this, no. My dad always said, you're not really hungry then. Because a really hungry person, when you say, what do you want to eat? They say what? Anything. Anything. Right? I'll have this, this, this. It doesn't matter. I'm like, I thought you were allergic. He's like, I don't care. Right? Lactose intolerant? Give me yogurt. You know, like anything. I will eat it because I'm hungry. So this is what the human being, the Muslim, is taught about times of blessing and times of difficulty. And the reality is, as he says, you won't be able to appreciate the good times unless you go through the bad times. So let's read some narrations. The Prophet ﷺ, he told us about this in a hadith where he says, that the first thing on the day of judgment that anybody is going to be asked about, this is not talking about their obligations per se, because that's going to be the prayer. But the first thing on the day of judgment, when you're asked about your resources, the things that you had and the things that Allah gave you, that you didn't necessarily like deserve, right? Nobody deserves when they're an infant to have anything more than anybody else. Everybody who's born into this world is born completely and totally in privilege. 
meaning that they haven't earned it. No infant has worked or been able to buy or purchase anything. They're just being taken care of by their families, right? May Allah Ta'ala make it easy for those who struggle with this. You know, it's hard when you think about Gaza and you think about the world, subhanAllah, and you realize that nothing separates you from any person that was tested with that except for just Allah's decree. That was it. All of us in this room could have been there. All right, so we have a deep responsibility to help relieve them. Ya Allah. So he says, مَا يُسْأَلُ عَنْهُ يَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ يَعْنِي الْعَبْدِ مِنَ النَّعِيمِ That the thing that a servant will be asked about is, number one, from the blessings that they were given, يُقَالُ لَهُ أَلَمْ نُصِّحَ لَكَ جِسْمَكَ وَنُرْيَكَ مِنَ الْمَاءَ الْبَارِدِ The first thing that they will be asked about is did we not give you a body and did we not give you cold water? Now this hadith was revealed to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam 1400 years ago. Or it was taught to us by the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam 1400 years ago. And this point, this question was revealed to him 1400 years ago. And subhanAllah, when you think about, when you strip down everything that a person wants from the luxuries of the world, everything that a person wants from uh, you know, their aspirations. You know, if people ask you like, what do you want to do? Usually people mention an occupation that they think will earn them some good money, right? Nobody is like, oh, I want to do this. And then they're thinking about not being able to pay rent, right? Or feed themselves. So when you ask somebody like, what do you want to do for work? People are always balancing what they want to do and then what they think will make them happy financially, right? And then we all have these goals financially. If you ask people, like, what's your goal? What do you want to spend your money on? Right? I'm curious about this. Anyone in the room? What do you want to make money for? What do you want to spend money on? Everyone's like, I'm not going to walk into this trap. No, seriously. What do you want to spend your money I can share with you, but I'll do it after. Yeah. Luxuries. Like what? Like name one. Make it, make it fun. Getting a really nice car. Okay, may Allah Ta'ala give you that. Here and in Jannah. Ya Rab. Ya Abbas. You want black backflip studios? I want that for you too, man. May Allah give you that, inshallah. Anyone else? Yes. Vintage designer. Wow, mashallah. That's impressive. I, I'm not making fun. I literally just did not. That didn't even cross my mind. Because it's not what I want. But may Allah give you that and more. In this life and the next. Ya Rab. Anyone else? What do you want? Yeah. Send your kids to a good school. Okay, excellent. May Allah Ta'ala give you that. Yes, yeah. Real estate development, communities and neighborhoods. Excellent. May Allah Ta'ala give you that and more. Anybody else? Yes. By the way, I'm not giving anybody any of this. <laughs> so this isn't like one of those like, oh, maybe. No, I don't, I'm not Oprah. Look, look under your chair. This vintage designer. Like, no, I don't have that. This is just roots. We need your donations. Okay. So yeah, yeah. Build, mashallah, build an orphanage, philanthropy, give back. Excellent. I love these answers. Let's assume everybody in this room wants to do good stuff. Now let's move all that good stuff to the side. Massage it, take care of our parents, etc., etc. Orphan, and let's get selfish. Like, what do you want? Travel, right? There we go. See, everyone says travel. No one wants to travel in economy. That's adab. We want to be in business class at least. Okay, first class. I want one of those doors that slides. <laughs> I want to have options when I'm eating. I want to eat on a plate. Okay? So, so look. And again, this isn't meant to make anybody feel any type of way. But let's, let's reel it back in. All of us, when we have our goals and aspirations, we measure our uh, efficacy in life, like your work and your you know, uh, 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 plans and your goals, you measure all of that based on the ideal that you're hoping to achieve. So like you want a house, you're saving for a house. Okay. You want a car, like a nice car, you're saving for that car. You want your designer, vintage designer, you, you're saving for that, right? But how many of us put as much energy into saving, planning, hoping, dreaming as we do thanking for the water that we drank or the body that's healthy? And it's interesting because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us through his prophet وسلم, that you're not going to be asked about all of your hopes and aspirations. You're going to be asked about the things that you overlooked. The things that you overlooked. And it's very interesting, subhanAllah, 
because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not necessarily hold back your aspirations. You're allowed in Islam, you're allowed to want things as long as they're halal. You're allowed to want clothes and cars and this and this and this. As long as you don't use it to take you away from Allah, right? Flying first class to Umrah, right? And then on your way somewhere else after that, inshallah. That's okay. It's not haram. It is a test though. But the test of it is, do you spend all of your time and all of your ability focusing on what you want or do you thank Allah for what you have? And the reality is that the, that amount of time should at least be equal, if not more in terms of gratitude. Now, Allah is so kind that he doesn't take away your gratitude as opportunity. In fact, he reinvests it for you. If you're grateful, I'll give you more. So if you're grateful to Allah for blessings, all you're going to get is more blessings. That's all you'll get, inshallah. May Allah Ta'ala grant us this and more. Okay, so number one is the frame of mind. And there's a principle that I want everyone to remember tonight about being grateful in the midst of a test. Because it's easy to be grateful. Well, I'll be honest with you. It's not easy to be grateful when things are good sometimes. Sometimes you're only made to be grateful when it's taken away. But it's easier to be grateful when times are relatively smooth. But when times are difficult, it's unfortunately all too easy for us to slip into the resentment and the frustration. And I want us all to think about a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ where he says, As-sa'idu man wa'idha bi ghayrihi. Well, it's actually, I apologize, not a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. It's Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu an. Something he learned, right, from the Prophet ﷺ, but not a hadith that's attributed to him. And Ibn Mas'ud, he said that, the happiest person in life is the one who learns from other times in life, whether it's themselves or other people. They're observant and they learn about those situations. And because they learned, they never repeat that issue again. And they're grateful whenever the time is lifted from them. They're grateful. They're thankful to Allah. They're in a constant state of gratitude. And so everything we read tonight is going to be about how can we be people that when times are bad, we remind ourselves to be grateful. And we'll talk about this more and more. So number one, step number one, do not forget about the small things. Try to make a list. Go home. Open up your phone, take a pen and paper, and write down all of the small things that you should thank Allah for, but you forget to do. Just write them down. I mean, how many of us drove here today? You got in a car, you started the car, and you drove here, right? Now, how many of us, when we got here, when we arrived safely, we said, and don't answer, you don't have to answer. My assumption is that not many of us, myself included, by the way, how many of us, when we got here safely, we put the car in park, we said, Alhamdulillah. How many of us, when we started the car at work or in our, our home or our apartment, and the car turned on, we said, Alhamdulillah. Have any of you ever had a battery die? What's your first thought when you turn the key and nothing happens? Ya Allah, I knew I should have prayed Fajr. Right? You, you instantly go to a state of what? Panic. A state of ingratitude. A state of, but you know what's crazy? You, that whole afternoon or evening might be ruined, right? Like you're supposed to go to work and then you can't. So then you go and you figure out, okay, either AAA, AutoZone, get a battery, get it changed. You go through this whole operation, right? It takes like an entire day. And then you say to yourself, what? Someone calls you at the end of that day and you're at home and they're like, how was your day today? And you say, it was a waste. Such a waste, man. I was supposed to go here. I was supposed to go there. My battery died. What a waste of time. But you know what? Allah is teaching us what? It's not a waste because you learn something. Tomorrow when your car starts, you're going to say what? Alhamdulillah. That entire 24-hour saga was meant to put that word on your lips. There you go. Abbas got it. Alhamdulillah. Right? Mashallah, I love trains, man. Trains don't have batteries that die on you, see? Okay. Now, this is reported to us also by Abu Darda. He says that the highest levels of faith, if you want to be a person with strong faith, because really, what does it require to be a person that says Alhamdulillah? You got to have strong faith. In bad times, right? In good times, everyone can say Alhamdulillah, right? They never interview, by the way, the losing team. They never interview them and say, what do you have to say? And they're like, I'd like to thank God. 
No losing team says that. Only the guy who like just scored 21 points, 10 rebounds, and made it to the playoffs or made it to the finals. They're like, what would you like to say? He's like, first and foremost, I want to thank God. The, the losing team is too busy, what, just marinating in their sadness and their frustration to thank God. But Muslims believe that even in the down times, we say, alhamdulillah. We praise Allah because we're gaining something. So he says, the pinnacle of faith, Abu Darda says this. He says, iman arba'un. Number one, as-sabru lil-hukmi. Having patience and perseverance. We talked about this a few episodes ago, a few sessions ago, right? Having patience and perseverance with what? Lil-hukmi. With what Allah has ordered or ordained for you. That's the first step. If you want to have good faith, strong faith, when Allah ordains something for you, you have to say what? That's it. That's it. That's what Allah wanted for me. And no matter how many different flow charts and if-then statements and conditionals I thought about in my head about getting this house or this car or this job or this marriage or this, 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 if it didn't happen and Allah stopped it for me, then that is what was meant for me. Alhamdulillah. That's one-fourth of faith. The second he says, الرِّضَاءُ بِالْقَدْرِ being content. Ridat means that I'm content. Ridat doesn't mean that I'm dealing with it. Right? It's not contentment. Right? You know, we use this word in English, tolerance. Like how I'm tolerant. We need people to be more tolerant. You guys ever heard that? Would any of one of you describe yourself as a tolerant person? Are you tolerant? Only with your Only oh with your sister? Tolerant is not like a praiseworthy thing, right? Contentment is praiseworthy. Tolerate, when you tolerate something, it's like the bare minimum of being okay with it. So with Allah in our life, with his destiny for us, many of us, we just tolerate it. We're like, mm, just kind of hanging on. I'll deal with it because it's Allah and I'll be patient. But how many of us can actually see the goodness in the test and say, you know what? I'm, I'm actually so happy that Allah did this to me. Because through Allah doing this to me, and then go back to the list in this book. This is happening. This is happening. This is happening. I'm gaining trust in Him. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm losing reliance on others. You know, one of the greatest examples of when tests happen, of good that happens to you, is you stop relying on other people. Have anyone here ever been let down before? Okay, we don't need too much. You guys been let down before? This is going to turn to a group therapy session. Yeah, if you've been let down, I mean, look, the Prophet ﷺ, have you ever like wondered about the first part of his life, why it was so difficult? Why? Why when he was born, his father was not alive? Why his mother passed away when he was so young? Why his grandfather passed away when he was young? Why his uncle and wife passed away in the same year? Why his children, many of them passed away? Why? I mean, surely Allah could have ordained that he would have been the greatest prophet without putting him through all of this. Surely. The reality is that in order to establish and show all of us how we handle grief, we had to watch the Prophet ﷺ go through grief. And that's why learning his life, reading his seerah, his biography, is the greatest way to gain contentment with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How can I complain? How can I be upset? How can I be sad? When the Prophet ﷺ, the most perfect human being to ever have lived on the face of this earth, was also sad, was also tested, but he found a way to be content with Allah amidst all of it. So, And then he says, what does this give you? When you're pleased with Allah, with what Allah gave you, when you're patient with the situations that you're put in, you know what you get? You gain two things. Al-ikhlasu wa tawakkul. Actually, three things. He says, al-ikhlas, at-tawakkul, wal-istislam lil-rabb. You get three skills. You unlock three skills. Number one, ikhlas, sincerity. Why sincerity? Is it easier to be sincere when times are good or times are bad? Huh? Huh? Are you sure? Being sincere when times are good? Which one's, which one's easier to be sincere? When times are bad. That's when you prove it. How many of you think you have a lot of friends? Raise your hand. MashaAllah. Okay, we got, MashaAllah, some self-conscious people. How many of those people call you when you're sick? How many of the people that you follow on Instagram actually check up on you? 
Those people that you like, you know, oh yeah, yeah, yeah we're friends. I'm not trying to break relationships tonight. But what I want you to think about is sincerity is proven in times of difficulty, not times of ease. That's why in Mecca, they say, Mecca we know is the years of trial, the years of persecution, the years of difficulty, right? The Meccan phase of the life of the Prophet ﷺ, torture, harassment, persecution, killing. But you know what they say about Mecca, the historians? They say not a single hypocrite existed in the Meccan era. Not a single hypocrite. Why? Because to be Muslim in Mecca, you had to be sincere. But in Medina, it wasn't easy. But because Islam was gaining, what do they say, clout? There were some clout chasers. Munafiqun were just clout chasers. They were essentially trying to position themselves as close to the Prophet ﷺ so that if and when Islam took off, they would be in a position of power still. That only existed in the good times. The bad times are where you prove your sincerity to Allah. So look, all of us can sit here and say, I'm a sincere Muslim, but can you do it on the side of the road with a flat tire? Can you do it when you're not sure how you're going to pay rent? Can you do it when you're sick and you're not sure? what, Or when you have a disturbing feeling in your body and the diagnosis is coming back in a few days and you're not sure? Are you as motivated to pray, make dua, give sadaqah, all of that when times are vague and foggy? Or is it only when times are good that we want to be close to Allah? So he says, al-ikhlas, wa-tawakkul. And the beautiful part about ikhlas is that when you do ikhlas, when you're sincere, Allah rewards you and now your trust goes up. You trusted your friend. Hey, I need you to remember tomorrow, please don't forget this. That's sincere. When your friend shows up with the thing you said, don't forget, what do you feel? More trust. Tawakkul, your increase goes up. Your trust increases. Well, istislam. And then the cycle finishes with what? Submission. You say, you know what? I should have never doubted Allah to begin with. So when the times are, go back to being good, you say, Alhamdulillah. I'm never going to doubt Allah again. Uncertainty, chaos, confusion. You're not going to find doubt in here because the last time I went through this, Allah took care of me. And what's to say he's not going to take care of me again? Right? So having that, Abu Darda says, is true faith. Is the true faith that we look to. Okay, the next hadith, okay, and this is one that's really difficult. How many of you, when bad things happen, you tend to notice all of the good things happening to everybody else? It's like an algorithm check on social media. So you're going through something bad, and everyone else is just celebrating all the time. All right, you lost your job, and people are like, I just got hired, never thought I'd be paid this much, I'm not even qualified, right? And it's remote. You know, your marriage is not going too well or prospects aren't working out. Seems like everyone's getting married and going to Tulum. Right? SubhanAllah, your sensitivity, there's a psychological phenomenon here. Your sensitivity to everybody else's prosperity is heightened when you are being constricted. Okay? And this is part of what the nafs and guess who is standing behind all of this, fanning the flame? None other than shaitan. Why? Because Iblis, right? Bellasa, the one who despairs, wants you to be miserable. He wants you to feel like, man, this, this is not right. It's not fair. Everyone else is succeeding. Everyone else is this, this, this. Listen to the words of the Prophet ﷺ. He says, إِذَا كَنَزَ النَّاسُ الذَّهَبَ وَالْفِضَّةِ this is nuts, because this is like, he's getting straight to it. When you find people, let's say one day you're sitting and you look at everybody and they're just, kenaza uh, means to like uh, gather, like a treasure. When you see people just gathering together, gold and silver. So you're looking around and it just seems like everyone is making money, hand over fist, hand over fist. And what's the implicit meaning here is that you're not. So you're sitting and everyone's scraping together all the money everywhere. And you're sitting there and you're like, I can't even find bronze, let alone, you know what I mean? I'm eating ramen. I'm on day five. And these people are getting promoted and these people are getting married and these people are buying houses and these people are having kids and these, this person just got a new car. I thought they already had one. And you look around and everyone is just 
you know, succeeding. They're in their success era, as they say. He says, فَكْنِزُوا هَؤُلَاءَ الْكَلِمَاتِ Treasure. Treasure these words. The Prophet ﷺ said, when you see people gathering their treasures, here's your treasure. And the words are, Allahumma, inni as'aluka al-thabat fil-amr wal-azimata al-rushd. Oh Allah, please, I'm seeking from you strength and firmness in whatever situation you put me in. Oh Allah, make me strong. Give me strength. Wal-azimata al-rushd. And oh Allah, give me the ability to do and be determinate about the guidance you have given me. This is so powerful. The most valuable thing that you have is guidance from Allah. And we'll talk about this at the end as well. The most valuable thing that you have is guidance from Allah. Because there are a lot of people with opportunity, with wealth, with resource, and they're not very happy. May Allah Ta'ala protect us from being them. There are a lot of people that have wealth, and that wealth did not bring them happiness. And I know that this is kind of like sort of a cop-out for like those of us that are, you know what, wealth doesn't really make you happy. Well, it can definitely make your life easier, right? That's for sure. Those of us who order DoorDash and at the end of the month had to pay our credit card bills, we're like, man, a raise would be nice, you know? But at the end of it all, it might make your life a little easier, but does it make you happy? No, if a person's not content with Allah before they have it, they won't be content after they have it. You don't just get to turn on that personality switch. It's like sadaqah. A person doesn't start giving charity once they make money. A person has been giving charity for as long as they can remember. And then when Allah gives them money, they just keep giving. That's the nature of it. You don't suddenly become more of something when Allah opens doors for you. No, what you are becomes magnified when Allah opens doors for you. So when you see people succeeding around you, you say, oh Allah, this success is temporary. It's for this world. It's this dunya. Oh Allah, this is not what I want my heart to be. Oh Allah, لا تجعل الدنيا أكبر همي. Please don't make the dunya my great desire. I don't want that because you have a limited capacity of resource for success. And if you gain the dunya and lose the akhirah, what? who cares? Jahannam will be filled with successful people. People that we saw and that we thought, man, you had it made. And Jannah will be filled with people that nobody even knows their name because they thought they were nobodies. And that's why, subhanAllah, you know, one of the greatest things that we should make dua for is, Oh Allah, make me known, not on this earth, but in the heavens. I don't care about this. You know, people are buying blue checks and followers and all this stuff. People do the awkwardest thing. Can I tell you what the awkwardest thing is? You ready? Keep this just between me and you and all the people watching the live stream. <laughs> don't ever ask someone to follow you on social media. It's kind of ajib. <laughs> and then when you ask and you say, Okay, do it. <laughs> and you hold that person emotionally, awkwardly hostage until they do it in front of you. Okay? By the way, this doesn't happen to me. I'm okay following whoever. But I've seen this. And then what you don't realize is that person, immediately after following you, you turn around, they just mute your stories and posts. And then eventually they unfollow you. And then you realize, you message them, say, hey, why'd you unfollow me? And then they never talk to you ever again. <laughs> the reason why we say these things, hey, follow me, follow me, follow me. Hey, tag me, tag me, tag me. It's because we're implicitly seeking some sort of fame, notoriety, right? But whenever, you know, Imam Malik said, I saw fame and I didn't see any good in it. There's no khair in that stuff. And that's why we want to become ma'roof as-sama' majhul fi al-ard. Oh Allah, make me a person that is completely and totally overlooked here. As long as I'm known by the angels and by you, oh Allah, that's it. That's all I care about. So he said, make this dua, oh Allah, make me firm in my matters and my affairs and give me strength to follow guidance because, oh Allah, I know what's right and I know what's wrong, but it's not about knowing it, it's about doing it. Right? We know that when we're tested, we should be patient, but it's not that easy all the time. وَأَسْأَلُكَ شُكْرَ نِعْمَتِكَ Oh Allah, make me grateful for the blessings you have given me. I'm not going to be distracted by seeing other people's blessings. Oh Allah, make me happy with what I have. Make me happy with what I have. Oh Allah, don't let my eyes wander. SubhanAllah, man. I'll never forget. I was sitting with one of my teachers, Sheikh Hassan, and we were reading about Tazkiyah. 
and there's a chapter on lowering the gaze. Okay, and what is lowering the gaze typically referred to? It's typically referred to not looking at the opposite gender, right, beyond what is needed or necessary. So lowering the gaze. If you see somebody, you shouldn't be staring, you shouldn't be looking. The believer should protect their heart by not looking at the opposite gender. Khalas. It's very common. We teach this to young boys and young girls, right? Ghadd al-Basr. Lower your gaze. Allah Ta'ala, it's a command in the Quran. But you know what's crazy? My teacher, he said, one of my teachers, he said, it's not limited just to the opposite gender. He goes, you also should lower your gaze from other people's belongings and positions and their status in life. You know, in, in the West, in America, sometimes like we'll walk into someone's house and it's like a new house. And people will say like, oh, sh give me a tour. Show me around. Aib. That's wrong. We shouldn't do that. Imam Ghazali went so far as to say, if you see someone, you guys might remember this from the, 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 the true friends class, the companions class. If you see someone walking somewhere or driving somewhere and it, you don't expect them to be there, like you're somewhere and you're like, oh, let's say that you're going to your, your doctor to get a checkup and you see someone you know. Imam Ghazali says, don't even ask them, why are you here? Don't say, what are you doing here? Say, how are you? How are you? It's good to see you, right? Because you don't have the right to put your gaze, right, your eyes or your heart upon other people's belongings or their things, whether it's their body or their experiences or anything. Because if you look at somebody's things, if you look at their job, if you look at their experience, their life, their whatever, the only door, there's only two options there. You either make dua for them or you start to feed the plant of hasad. So, which one are we? Unless you're making dua for somebody, unless you are actively that person, Allahumma barik, oh Allah, please, oh Allah, give them more, oh Allah, give them more. And it's interesting, we should make this dua a lot because why would Allah giving them more hurt us? And the angels, when you make dua for them, what do the angels say? Amin wa lakum. The angels, la ya'sun Allah. They don't disobey Allah. They do what Allah commands. They pray for you. So making dua for others is actually a win-win. They get more, you get more, and you don't have to worry about what somebody else has. Because what Allah has written for you will come to you. So in this dua, as you're witnessing everybody else around you succeeding, you're making dua for guidance, for firmness in your faith, for strength, for gratitude. Oh Allah, make us grateful for the blessings you've given us. Oh Allah, wa as'aluka. Husna ibadatika. Oh Allah, make us good worshippers. Make me beautiful in my worship. Wa as'aluka qalban saliman. Oh Allah, give me a heart that is tranquil. Don't make my heart rattled all the time. Notice, have we asked so far in this dua for anything material? Have we said, Oh Allah, give me a heart that is pure, a heart that is happy, some gold and silver would be nice? No. The Prophet ﷺ is instructing you. When you see what others have in that moment, remind yourself what is really valuable, what is really a treasure. Because money, fame, status, power, positions, prosperity, they come and go. Wallahi, they come and go. And you know what does not go once it arrives, inshallah, is a pure heart filled with iman, filled with love for Allah. You have that, you're the wealthiest person in the world. Right? We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us that wealth. And then he says, وَلِسَانًا وَأَسْأَلُكَ لِسَانًا صَادِقًا Oh Allah, give me a tongue that speaks the truth. Give me a tongue that is truthful. Because when a person lies, when a person loses their trust, it's almost impossible to get it back. It's very difficult if a person doesn't tell the truth. If a person is caught lying or caught exaggerating. I mean, it's tough. You know, this is one of the things as a father, right? Like, my kid is almost seven, and he started now. It's scary, man. Make dua for my kids, please. Except for that one guy who doesn't like when I tell stories about my kids. Everyone else make dua for my kids. You too, jerk. Uh, <laughs> it's scary, man, because you start to see them start to tell lies. And you realize that this is something that Allah, like the nafs kind of like goes this way. So you have to like do tarbiyah and like train them out of it. But it's tough, man. And, but then you see the innocence. You know, I'll say, Musa, did you brush your teeth? He's like, yeah. And then before I even have a chance to say like, no, you didn't. He's like, I'm just joking. Because <laughs> he's so embarrassed about lying. Because that's how we should feel. When we lie, we should feel embarrassed. 
There's a reason why they can track your heart rate and they can tell when you're lying because your body is telling you stop. You're not supposed to do this. Right? A lie detector test is literally Allah's biological programming of your body to say, hey, haram. <laughs> Don't do that, right? Oh Allah, give us a, a tongue that tells the truth. And oh Allah, we ask you from the good things that you know about. And we ask you, Allah, to protect us from the evil of the things that you know about. Oh Allah, we seek your forgiveness from the things that you know about. You are the one who is the most aware of the things that are unseen. So that's the dua. And I'll share this, inshallah, tonight on Instagram. If you ever, and this is, by the way, how do we become spiritual people? Everyone wants to become spiritual. It's not just about aligning your chakras and drinking kombucha. That's whatever. Being spiritual is about when you read this stuff, is about, I apologize, I see some people who are kombucha fans, right, in the audience. You're getting upset. It's almost like your chakras aren't aligned. Uh, <laughs> being spiritual is when you read this statement, you start doing it. It's not just like a moment, oh, that's not, oh, in Islam, we actually have a dua for this. No, no. It should be like, oh, I'm feeling jealous. I'm feeling upset. I'm feeling bothered that I'm in this test. Allahumma inni as'aluka al-thabat fil amr. Like, we start to say it now. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us this. Now, the next couple narrations, and then we'll conclude, inshaAllah. And this is another way to practice this. So we just read about the dua. There's also a physical way to practice this. Abi Bakra, he said that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, "Annahu kana idha jaahu amru sururin." If the Prophet sallallam, if it ever came to him some news that made him happy, "Aw bushira bihi," or something that made him feel happy, like pleasing, some good news that gave him good, glad tidings. He would fall into sujood wherever he was and he would start to praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay. If anyone here has an Egyptian mother, this has definitely happened in a parking lot somewhere. Okay, because there's just something, you know the TikTok, we are Egyptian women? That's, that's the reality. By the way, she's coming on Friday, inshallah, so we probably have a guest speaker next Monday. She's going to be here for a week, so. And if she knows that I'm teaching, she's like, what are you going to teach anybody? Go clean your room, I'll teach them, right? <laughs> so, but this is the next step. So the first step is, you're in a situation that's difficult, that's challenging, right? You make dua to Allah, you make dua to remove the, you from the situation. You make dua to Allah to give you strength and comfort and tranquility. Now, when Allah eventually does alleviate your burden, how do you respond? How, how does one person respond? The, the worst possible thing to do is to carry on like normal. Think, think about it. Like, how would we feel if somebody was in a really bad spot and we came to their aid, their rescue, and we saved them? And then we showed up with whatever it was that they needed. And they just took it from our hands and walked past us. You know, one time when I was in college, the only experience I have of like true gratitude, just absolutely incredible gratitude from people I don't know. I was in college, I was 19. I get a phone call in the morning, so it was like 11. Okay, it's a joke. Many of you are probably like still waking up at all. Okay, so I get a phone call. It was actually very early. It was like right after Fajr. And I get a phone call from a friend and he says, do you have anything to do today? And this friend does not live in Chicago, so he's not trying to hang out. He's just asking, hey, are you free? I said, yeah, I have class, but like, yes, I'm free. And then he goes, I need you to fly to D.C., and I need you to go to the travel agency office and I need you to find a list of these people's names, their passports. Because Hajj 
leaves in a few days. The group for Hajj leaves in a few days. And there is a federal holiday and there won't be any deliveries. And our group of like 117 people, none of them have their passports. And I've called like four or five people to do this and everyone's got, you know, plans, excuses, yada, yada, yada. And he's like, we're really stuck. And he's from Canada. So he's like, I can't do it. It's going to look weird. And he goes, I need you to pick up the passports. And then when you land back in Chicago, you got to fly there and back same day. And he goes, you only have like three hours to do it because you have to get back tonight because they're going to meet you at the airport and they're going to take their passports. So I was like, bet. So (laughs) he buys me a ticket right then. Like, I want you to understand, guys, this is after 9-11. I know that a lot of you guys probably like don't remember 9-11, but when 9-11 happened, like, you know that there was a time when we didn't have to take off our shoes. You know that, right? Like, there was a time when they didn't check the name on the boarding pass. Do you understand this? There was a time when, like, I could buy a ticket and hand it to somebody and they could get on that flight. There was a time when they didn't check the cities sometimes. Like, where are you going today? You're like, I'll find out. You know, you just kind of hop on any plane. Security was bad, okay? Then 9-11, of course, happens and everything changes. Security protocol, parameters, yada, yada. So this is like a half Egyptian Muslim guy giving khutbah to the MSA, shows up with a ticket that was bought 27 minutes ago with nothing. Are you checking anything? No. I just had this empty backpack. Where are you going? DC. What are you doing? I need to get 117 passports. Do you realize like how this looks, right? So I go, okay, and I get on the plane, I go do this, I land, I'm in DC, of course, I think the travel, the passport office was like a few miles away from the airport, so of course it took me two hours to get there, because it's DC. So then I get there, I'm sifting through, guys, I walk in, wallahi, I'm not joking, you guys ever seen Harry Potter? You know the library? So like, I want you to understand what the passport's office looked like. This was not just one travel agency, this was a group of them, because we're Muslims, we're trying to be economical, split cost. This is like six travel agencies, there was probably... 5,000 passports in this office. And I had to find 117 of them. And it's easy in the beginning. You're like, got one, got one, got one. Then you get to like, I got five left. And you're like, this is a joke. These people don't exist. <laughs> Alhamdulillah, I was able to do it. Alhamdulillah, with some help from some of the brothers there. Got on a plane, got back. And I land in O'Hare. And there was a group of people, <laughs> subhanAllah, sitting at the terminal like this, crying. And I, I'm just like some college kid. I'm like, got my backpack on my shoulder, walking up. And then someone goes, there he is. Yeyage. <laughs> He's coming, right? Shagufta auntie yells. And, I, and I'm walking, and wallahi, they fell to the ground in sujood. Because they weren't, I mean, I'm like, <laughs> I was like, no, 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 don't worship me, right? I'm not <laughs> No, it wasn't that. I, they, weren't, they weren't grateful for me. They were obviously, they were making dua to Allah. They were just all so shook by the fact that Allah, they were, look, can you imagine being told you paid thousands of dollars in the travel agency call you, you may not go to Hajj this year? After all the arrangements, everything? That's a, that's a fitna, that's a test, that's a musibah. Allah put them in a test. And instead of responding by spiraling, and they said, we're just going to call upon Allah. Allah can fix this. And Allah used some random college kid from Chicago to go and pick up your passports. And none of them, I have no idea who those people are. It wasn't like a personal, oh, hey, what's going on? Hey, yeah, have a nice hajj, make dua for me. None of them. I had no clue who they were. It was like some group that I don't even know if many of them, like, you know, they were younger, spoke English. No idea. I just went and did it because honestly, I'm in college. I'm like, I don't want to go to class. (laughs) But the point being is that their gratitude forced them to practically return to Allah. Like we make dua to Allah and then he gives us and we forget about him. Like we forget. My mom taught me like, Allah gives you something, pray. He gives you a house, pray. He gives you a job, pray. He gives you a car, drive to the masjid and pray. Gives you new clothes, wear it on Friday and pray. Never exclude Allah from your celebration. Always include Allah. Because what can be more offensive to the one who alleviated you from the burden, the one who took you out of the difficulty, then to forget him. What could be more hurtful? May Allah Ta'ala help us. So the Prophet no matter what situation he found himself in, he would fall to Allah and he would make sajda. 
Okay. Let me finish with the last couple of narrations about how to deal with difficulties when they're happening, to pre appreciate the good times. The Prophet ﷺ, one time, he stood up all night and prayed. Not one time, but in the nights when he stood and prayed, one time, his wife Aisha she saw him crying in his prayer, and he was crying profusely. And he cried all night in his prayer. And so Aisha she said to the Prophet because she was of course his wife, she loved him, and she was concerned and nobody wants to see their loved one in distress. Nobody wants to see their loved one crying. And so she said to the Prophet Why are you crying? You're crying and Allah has forgiven everything for you. Like you don't have to worry. Like we should be crying. You don't have to cry. He says, if that's the case, should I not be grateful to him who forgave me? That he forgave me? Then he says, لَقَدْ نَزَلَتْ Allah sent upon me tonight a verse. وَيْلٌ لِمَنْ قَرَأَهَا وَلَمْ يَتَفَكَّرْ فِيهَا He said, what a... He said, whoa, whoa, in English you translate it, it's tough, but like, he's like, man, how wasted is a person who reads it and doesn't think about it. You want to know the verse? إِنَّ فِي خَلْقِ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَاخْتِلَافِ اللَّيْلِ وَالنَّهَارِ لَآيَةٍ لِلْأُولِ الْأَلْبَابِ Allah Ta'ala in this verse says that everything in the creation, the heavens and the earth, the night and the day, and how they change and everything in between, your entire day, whenever Allah uses, by the way, one side and another side, east and west, north and south, whenever Allah uses like the poles of a situation, samawat wal ard, layl wal nahar, right? The night and the day. It doesn't just mean those two things, it means everything in between, okay? It's like if I said from, from dawn till dusk, I'm not just talking about dawn and dusk, I'm talking about the whole day, right? So Allah in this verse is mentioning that in the creation of everything, from the highest to the lowest, to the changing of the night to the day, Allah Ta'ala says, لَآيَاتٍ There are always signs that a person can remember Allah in those moments. The, the tafsir of this verse further explains that this also encompasses whatever scenario you find yourself in. Allah is never excused from any moment in your life. If times are good, you thank Him. If times are bad, you seek Him. If times are confusing, you ask Him for clarity. If times are too much, you ask Him to relieve you from the burden. You always seek Allah first and foremost. And so the Prophet teaches his wife Aisha here that if Allah has truly forgiven me and I'm a prophet who will be given paradise, that doesn't mean now that I'm exempt from remembering Allah. And this is the challenge, is that when Allah alleviates a burden from us, we can't forget Him. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us remember Him. I'll finish with one more. Oh, there's so many, subhanAllah. I don't have enough time. This is just the way it goes every week. Okay? I'll finish with one more. Two more. Okay. <laughs> the Prophet ﷺ said, He said, there are two blessings that are completely and totally deluded by people. People completely forget about them. Uh, he said, number one, health. And number two is free time. If you want to gauge your relationship with Allah, the, the best way to comprehensively measure is not how do I turn to Allah in times of difficulty, but it's how do I turn to Him in times of ease? How am I when I'm healthy? And everybody always says when they're sick, 
that they want to accomplish things when they're healthy. You know, if somebody's sick, they're like, ah, oh, I was going to go to the gym today. Really? You haven't been in a while. Your key card is still in its package. And you're like, yeah, but I was going to go today, but I'm just not feeling well. Well, faragh, free time. Like many of us, we want to do things and then we get busy. We're like, I swear I would have gone. I, I would have done that, but I'm just, it's tough. Got a tight schedule today. And you know, and you might, you might. I'm not saying that you're not healthy. I'm not saying that. But the reality is that we become very speculatively aspirational, creatively aspirational when we have a convenient excuse not to be realistic. So the Prophet ﷺ said, a smart person, a smart individual is one who does not wait until their opportunities are taken from them, but rather they use those opportunities in the moment that they have it. And what are those opportunities? In another hadith, the Prophet ﷺ says, famous hadith, I'll finish with this, I promise. اِخْتَنِمْ خَمْسًا قَبْلَ خَمْسًا Take five before five. شَبَابَكَ قَبْلَ حَرَمِكَ Make sure that you use your youth before you get old. And you know what's crazy is like in this room, there are people that think that they are young, but if you look at your life, you had a lot of youth. And there are people that think that they're old, but if you look ahead, you have, inshallah, have a lot of life left. This part of the hadith is teaching us that your opportunity is right now, actually. Because tomorrow you're going to be older than you were today. Don't get caught up in like the conceptual, oh man, when I was 16, I could have memorized. When I was 20, I could have done this. When I was 24, I could have done this. And I'll never forget, man, the, the elderly woman that went to Hajj with us. We finished Hajj and everyone was crying, but she was really crying, like really. And I remember going up to her and saying, Auntie, what's wrong? And she said, I said, look, you made Hajj. Allah will accept your Hajj. Allah." And she goes, no, no. And I said, why? What's wrong? And she said, I look at you, all of you. We were all in our 30s. And she says, I wish I made Hajj when I, were your, I was your age. I said, no, Allah invited you now. You're good. You know, you're trying to be like very optimistic with her. Because she was in a wheelchair, someone had to push her. She felt very sad. And I remember, I'll never forget her words, man. It's probably like 2016. And it's in my heart, in my ear. She said, what could I have been if I got started earlier? She goes, I look at you. Your life has changed. You're 30. You're 35. What could I have been in my, with my relationship with Allah? How close could I have gotten? What level of Jannah could I have maybe gotten to? Who could I have become if I just started earlier? May Allah Ta'ala give us a good start. Every day you get older, so now is your time to start. And your health before your sickness. There are times when you're healthy and times when you're sick. Don't wait until you start feeling that tickle in your throat to be like, ah, I was going to memorize today. Right? Allah will take it away and you will desperately ask Allah for it back. I promise you. There are periods of time when Allah will prohibit you from something and you will beg Allah, oh Allah, give it back, please. Happened to me. Knee surgery, couldn't make sujood. I promise you, I was begging Allah, oh Allah, please, I'll never ever delay. I'll never miss a prayer again. Just let me pray my prayers. Let me pray normally with sajda because for me, it was killing me. And I couldn't do it. I'll never forget. وَغِنَاكَ قَبْلَ فَقْرِكَ And take advantage of your wealth before your poverty. وَفَرَاغَكَ قَبْلَ شُغْلِكَ And your free time before you are preoccupied. And eventually, وَحَيَاتَكَ قَبْلَ مَوْتِكَ And your life before you die. We know that there will only be one emotion on the Day of Judgment that will be felt by everybody. And that emotion is regret. Our job is to minimize the regret. We're all going to have some of it. But our job is to minimize the regret. The lessons that we take, okay, and I'm done. Look, khalas, okay, I'm done. The lessons that we take in times of difficulty change who we are in times of ease. If we become someone when times are tough and then we change back to who we were in times of ease, then the test did not give us what it was designed to give us. Do not, do not forget who you were when you needed Allah and then forget about him when you feel like you don't need him. May Allah Ta'ala protect us.
May Allah Ta'ala give us a close connection with Him in times of good and bad. May Allah Ta'ala make us always near to Him. May Allah Ta'ala allow us to call upon Him first and foremost. May Allah Ta'ala make our hearts constantly aware of Him, connected to Him. May Allah Ta'ala allow us to be able to traverse through our challenges and difficulties with courage, with strength, and with ease. May Allah Ta'ala never test us with things that we cannot handle, Ya Rabb. May Allah Ta'ala make it easy for those of us that are being tested with whatever condition, medical, personal, financial, social, mental, O oh Allah, spiritual, we ask you, O oh Allah, to uplift our affliction. O oh Allah, our brothers and sisters in Gaza, Ya Allah, they've been calling, they've been asking, Ya Allah, O oh Allah, we've been calling and asking, Ya Allah, we do not dispute or disagree with your timing, Ya Allah, but we seek your ease, Ya Allah. O oh Allah, please grant them relief. O oh Allah, please grant them aid. O oh Allah, please grant them ease. O oh Allah, allow us to be a source of relief for them. O oh Allah, allow this trial and suffering to be a means of victory for them, a victory that is everlasting, a victory that never goes away, Ya Rabbil Alameen. O oh Allah, we ask you, Ya Allah, everyone in this gathering has secret moments with you, Ya Allah, hearts that yearn to you, Ya Allah, hearts filled with concerns and worries, Ya Allah, and you are the one who knows. My words, Ya Allah, cannot suffice. My words, Ya Allah, cannot capture the hearts of the people in this room, Ya Allah, but you know, you know and I don't know. So, oh Allah, answer their du'as. Oh Allah, give them what is best for them in this life and the next. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika. Nashadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka. Wa natubu ilayk. Jazakum Allah khairan everybody. Barakallahu fikum.